it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. It's hard to take your eye off what's going on over the Middle East and how it could affect us here, as well as knowing how it relates to China, which means a great time to book Stephen Mosher, president of the Population Research Institute, best-selling author of the book Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order and Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Uh, we have a lot to discuss, but I'll focus on the China today. And, of course, we're watching all the moving parts uh, in Capitol Hill. The President of the United States, oddly, thought it was a good idea to put on shorts and walk the beach. I would never have done that. If I'm leader of the free world and I tried 50 years to get this job during the most tense time in maybe my political career, I would not go home. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. When they get back here, they should stay in. They should go into a conference, not come out, and stay there. A very simple test. Can you get 217 votes? They shouldn't bring anybody out until they have 217. The speaker search cracks wide open. How does this end? And who are the nine candidates lining up to replace Kevin McCarthy? Number two. Look, Russia, China, Iran, and I would throw in North Korea and terrorist groups like Hamas have a very clear mission. And that mission is to destroy the existing uh, rules-based international order and to weaken the U.S. and our allies. Yeah, that's true, Adam Smith, Democrat. How long are we going to deny that China, Russia, and Iran are behind all of this? We go into detail, and it isn't timed. Why isn't it time for us to develop our own game plan and get these evil guys on their heels? Number one. I know there are an estimated five to 600 Americans there. Is there any chance Israel lets some of those Americans out or Egypt allows some of those Americans in? You're exactly right. And to date, at least, Hamas has blocked them from leaving. Right. Worst fears realized. President Biden could be using American power to keep Israel from invading. I think that's happening. The Washington Post and New York Times says it. We we, we all want the hostages back and we want peace. But after October 7th, how dare we hold Israel back? They should be making their own call. They know this neighborhood. They know where the rockets are buried with Hezbollah. They know where the the Hamas uh, fighters are in the tunnels uh, in Gaza. And that, to me, is unbelievable. It is not surprising. I under, if the objective is get the hostages out, I get it. But number one, who says that you can't get the hostages out by going in? We got two out, and now the uh, Israelis said they've contacted 222 families of thought to be hostages. Wow. So that was at under 100, under 200. Then it was uh, 200 and 12. Now it's 222. We got two back. Uh, we got about thir- roughly 13 American, Israeli Americans there right now. We'll have to look. But the brutal crimes that Hezbollah, Hamas put on Iran, uh, Israel is getting buried. I don't understand it. Do people want more grisly stories? Do you want more coroners that had to deal with the beheaded bodies and uh, and severed limbs and eyes that were cut out? Do we need to see that to understand why Israel has got to take the gloves off this time and why a bombing campaign is not going to be effective, how a ground assault is? 
And please don't tell me that you're pushing them back. President Biden, who talked to Benjamin Netanyahu again yesterday. Hezbollah, also, I don't want a two-front war. You don't want a two-front war. But if you don't have a two-front war now, will it be impossible to win in five years? Dave Ignatius of The Washington Post, good friend of the show, cut four. I hear Israeli officials thinking carefully about how to stage this next phase, the, the, the ground invasion of Gaza, in a way that doesn't get all the hostages killed. They have been trying over the last two weeks to map every inch of Gaza to, to find, if they can, where people are so that they know where the hostages are being held, know how to behave appropriately. Yeah, uh, they like to find out where they're held. Who doesn't? I also think small teams are getting in there. I'm watching all this coverage, and I don't even remember from the BBC on down, Reuters, Raw Feed, looking at the international channels, the Arab channels, and I don't know where I saw this, but it looks like the Israeli tanks were lined up immediately, but then they're pulling out. And I don't know if they're going back to base or they're going in. Listen, I don't want to know everything, especially if it compromises the operation. But you just have to wonder, Joe Biden, his instincts are terrible. Slow walking the weapons for Ukraine. Say Zelensky's got to get out of there offering him a plane ride instead of reinforcements to force the Russians out. Saying that the Afghans have a well-trained army to withstand any type of Taliban incursion, knowing what happened in Afghanistan, the biggest disaster in American military history, and then thinking that China's a friend, we're going to eat their lunch, and we see what's going on. There's a convened, basically, in other world. They do not want a world in which America leads. And I sadly think that President Biden thinks his instincts are great. I think they're terrible, and his, the back of his baseball card reveals it. So yesterday, I understand in one day, the IDF hit 320 military targets. Over the past uh, two days, I've had infrastructure and military targets inside Gaza. They're also hitting the West Bank twice in the last two days. Once they blew up the back off a mosque. Why? Underneath the mosque in the basement was a headquarters and an imminent terrorist strike was about to play, to uh, take place. That was second time in three days they hit the West Bank. So they have a lot to do. They got 600,000 troops to do it. The most innovative military technology in the land, and we're resupplying them. This might be the time in which Israel gets rid of their enemies and makes the world focus on the one over, overarching enemy, and that is Iran. That is the big deal. I know it's death and destruction and everything that could be coming, but basically this is Iran. When they're in a box and they're poor, you think of things like the Abraham Accords. Here's John Radcliffe. He was uh, running DNI, Cut 14. Throughout 2020, um, the Iranian... Uh, the, the Iranian military leaders and political leaders were telling us as we listened in on their conversations, we're broke. We can't afford to fund Hamas. We can't afford uh, to fund Hezbollah. We can't afford to pay our proxies to engage in this mayhem. All of that intelligence, which spoke so clearly, um, was shared with the Biden administration uh, as they came in and they ignored the intelligence in the Middle East. And, and now we're on, you know, uh, it's not being hyperbolic to say we're on the verge of a, of, a, of a war in the Middle East. And they're about to put Jack Lew, former Treasury Secretary, in as ambassador to Israel. Jack Lew, part of circumventing Congress and trying to get money uh, and conversion into euros, the money that Iran had in Oman with a worthless currency. So they were trying to help convert it to euros and then lied to Congress about it. 
and then we're going to put him back as U.S. ambassador? The one in charge of this whole thing was Rob Malley. Rob Malley's basic godfather was Yasser Arafat. These are the people in charge. If they just admitted, we tried to get Iran into the family of nations, it failed miserably. I get it now. As our bases bases get rocketed for three straight days in uh, in Iraq with thought to be surrogates of Iran, we have to understand that this is the problem. That's what bothers me about the administration. Their instincts are terrible. Their policies are worse. Congressman Mike Waltz, last night, cut 21. One thing that I am encouraged by is to hear that the Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group is not going to sit in the med. It's moving back around to the Arabian Gulf. I think that does two things. The good thing is it sends a strong message to Iran. It's right offshore uh, of Iran. The thing I'm worried about is it could also be positioned to evacuate our embassies. Uh, While that is fine if needed, the signal we should be sending that Mike Pompeo and President Trump sent was if you storm our embassy in Iraq, you so much have a fingernail across that wall, we will drop all kinds of pain and hurt on you, Iranian-backed militias in Iraq. We don't want to be sending the signal that we'll cut and run. So uh, that is true, and we are separated. I like the aircraft carrier presence. I don't like the fact that Houthi rebels feel as though they can shoot rockets at us. So we knocked four out of the sky. And I'm getting these two reports. And Jonathan Carl asked it yesterday on This Week with George Stephanopoulos, who's never on the show. He said, you know, what were they rockets aimed at us or were they en route to Israel? Because we've seen both reports. He didn't answer the question. If we're en route to Israel, that means the Houthi rebels, surrogates uh, uh, of Iran who took over Yemen— and then start rocketing Saudi Arabia. And when they went back at them with our planes, we were fine with that. We wanted to be more surgical in their approach. The blockade was cruel, but I get it. They were tired of being rocketed from their neighbor. But then when President Biden takes over, he took the Houthi rebels off the terror watch list. That was a homage to Iran that sponsors them. And what thanks do they get? Countless uh, terror attacks. And, of course, the support of Hamas, who executed this killer, absolutely, this massacre over in Israel. Real quick, before we take a break, and I'll take your calls at one 408 It's not going to be Jim Jordan, the next speaker. It's not going to be Steve Scalise, the next speaker. Could it be one of these nine? Pete Sessions of Texas, Austin Scott of Georgia, Gary Palmer, Alabama, Dan Meiser, Muser, I should say, of Pennsylvania, Mike Johnson, extremely talented from Wisconsin. I think he took I, I think he took over uh, in a very important seat in Wisconsin. Jack Bergman over in Michigan, Byron Donalds in Florida, and Tom Emmer. Now, I was going back and forth with Kevin McCarthy last night, and I saw him on the Sunday shows. He thinks Tom Emmer can step right in. But you need a certain skill set to be speaker. You don't just, you know, as well, he's a good leader. Oh, he's a good guy. He's charismatic. No, you have to be go under the wire. Do some dealing with moderates as well as extreme conservatives like the Freedom Caucus. Have to work across the aisle when you have to. You have to hit your marks. You got to present yourself to the public representing the Republican majority. And then you got to travel the country and you got to recruit candidates and you got to make sure in those battle candidates you're there raising money for them. 
he put said Kevin McCarthy put 70 percent of the congressmen in their seats or helped put them there, recruited them, raised money for them. And when they got there, took care of them. Can anyone get to those? Well, it turns out can get to the 217. Well, it turns out uh, to get to the 217, you need everyone to agree. Now, it looks like the following candidates agreed. If it's not them, they will support whoever the number one is to emerge out of the caucus. I think the first votes tonight. Jack Bergman says, I'll support whoever wins. Mike Johnson, Dan Muser, uh, Austin Scott, Pete Sessions said they'll support whoever gets the most votes. I'd like to see the rest commit to that, too. Is that possible? I think, actually, Democrats want to see that because we've got to get to work, guys. Got to get to work. All right. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, you can always write me, com. Brand new website tuned up. Hit on contacts, and I'll be able to get your comments. Uh, back in a moment. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The central problem that Americans need to understand is that Israel is haunted after the October 7 attack by the reality that deterrence against Hamas failed. Israel thought that Hamas was deterred. They'd opened the borders. More Gazans were working in Israel than in many, many years. Gaza seems to continue to be prospering a little bit, and they thought, okay, they're not going to be as, as militant as they've been. That was wrong. They were, they were not deterred. They attacked. So when Israel looks now at, at Lebanon, at Hezbollah in Lebanon, they think Hezbollah is deterred. They think these are just a few rocket attacks that Hezbollah has to do to keep face in, the, in, the, in this axis of resistance. But maybe they're wrong. Maybe Hezbollah isn't deterred. And that's, that's what's troubling Israel and, and that we should, I think, understand and sympathize with. I do. And I also sympathize with the fact that I know there's some interest in Palestinians. I don't want to see one four-year-old hurt. I don't care what their nationality is, but it's on Hamas. This is the problem. Everyone says, okay, Israel, you've been brutalized. You lost almost 2,000 people, countless wounded, families ripped apart, over 200 hostages taken, many Holocaust victims, some five-year-olds taken. Having all that happened, and all of a sudden the whole world goes, wait a second, Stop with the bombing, cease fire, do not invade. Excuse me? They didn't want this. They were, sub, they were victims of disinformation from Hamas. How they stopped the best intelligence apparatus in the world, that'll be decided in the next few weeks, and they should get, uh, get underneath it to see where their blind spots were right away. But they have to be allowed to conduct the war the way they need it to be successful. And you see the Washington Post, New York Times, and Reuters all say the same thing. This administration working behind the scenes to slow the roll. My feeling is Sullivan, Blinken, Austin, they ooze weakness. All of it. I think presentation has a lot to do with it. Aircraft carriers, absolutely. And are you willing to do it? Do it preemptive strike? Are you willing to mention Iran in a major speech? China, Russia, all pulling strings. Remember, it was Lavrov meeting with Hamas. Why? Why would you meet with Hamas? Why would you have communicated with Hamas leaders meeting with China? What interest do they have? By the way, it just shows you also how insincere 
this whole Muslim-centric approach is, anyone who cared about Muslims would not have one thing except wild protests against the Chinese who have recreated the concentration camp for all the Uyghurs, Muslim Uyghurs, because they didn't like that there was an attack in some suburbs because these people want their independence. So they're deprogramming Muslims in China, but yet these people have no problem with it. It goes to show you these militants are anything but purely militant. They are absolutely radicalized, living for the next, uh, uh, living for the next life. If you don't mind, I'm kind of focused on this one. So, part of the reason why it's so disturbing not to have a House Speaker, they can't come out and condemn the despicable things the squad is doing. They can't come out and condemn Iran. They can't come out and talk about where aid should be flowing when it comes to Israel and maybe pushing back against the Biden administration, who seems to be focused on humanitarian causes instead of terror causes. I'm pro-humanitarian aid, but not if it's going to go right to Hamas, and you have not done anything to alleviate the worry I have that Hamas is going to get all of this. It, to me, shows a naivete or an acceptance to go back to the uh, make the Europeans like me more. So as we mentioned before, um, the Senate, there's been Senate delegations who have gone over there. I had Derek Van Orden, Navy SEAL, Congressman from Wisconsin, join me on Fox and Friends today. Here's Diane Sullivan. He sees the bigger, bigger picture. Serve of the Bush administration and in the military. Now Senator from Alaska, cut 16, from Tel Aviv. Some of the big, great power adversaries that the United States is dealing with right now, Russia, China, have completely revealed themselves. There hasn't been one statement from China or Russia criticizing Hamas and calling them out for what they did, a heinous terrorist action. So I think everybody in the region should know that, but I think that as they do typically, they're siding with the wrong side of history. So Senator, Senator Sullivan uh, will build on something. I'll build on what Senator Sullivan just said with Stephen Mosher. He knows what's going on with China. They're pulling the strings. They have nothing in common with North Korea, a little. Uh, they helped defend them in the 50s. They have uh, nothing in common really with Iran, nothing in common really with Russia. They hated each other for decades. But what they have in common is they don't want a world in which we're at the lead. That's why they have 500 more nukes over the last two years. That's why they're pouring money into their military. That's why they're robbing their people of any sense of market economy. But they're paying the price for that because they built way too many homes, way too many cities, and they can't stay afloat. They're not working out. And they built homes for $3 billion when they have $1.4 billion. That's a little bit of a problem by my math, even the new math. Steve Mosher next. How do we get ahead of China and Russia and their diabolical plans? Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Look, Russia, China, Iran, and I would throw in North Korea and terrorist groups like Hamas have a very clear mission. And that mission is to destroy the existing um, rules-based international order and to weaken the U.S. and our allies. And they are working together. Iran is sending weapons to Russia. They're part of that fight. Russia is helping Iran. So it's wrong to say that these things are not connected. Yes, they, they have separate aspects to them. And if the Senate wants to handle them separately, that's fine. But I don't think we should kid ourselves about how closely connected 
Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, and groups like Hamas are. And by the way, so the thing that's different about this axis of evil, the original was Iran, Iraq, and North Korea. They had no relationship. In fact, Iran and Iraq hated each other under Saddam Hussein. North Korea, maybe they would give, you know, they would send maybe a, a ship full of weapons, but there was no doctrine that they were following. Nobody really worried about these third world nations. You know, Iran more sophisticated than the others. But now you have the superpowers, if you call Russia that, working together and saying, how do I aggravate the West the most? How do I get under and get, uh, how is America vulnerable? Well, let's look at the Middle East. Let's keep them in the Middle East. How do I do that? Well, Iran needs some help. So let's buy their oil. Let's help them with electronics. Let's provide, uh, let's provide them with some money and some investment. They set up this investment relationship. What they were also doing in Iran is sending ships, six separate warships, over the Persian Gulf area because they're concerned about things getting out of control. Now, we have warned uh, Iran not to get involved, and our ships say we'll get involved directly. But China's deployed six warships over there. Uh, the Chinese military uh, has deployed its 44th Naval Escort Task Force uh, in the Middle East amid the rising tensions they put out. This is Lloyd Austin warns adversaries against getting involved in the war. Quote, our advice is don't. They're using that great tough word that President Biden uses. Pentagon is looking to steer its presence in the Middle East big time in order to deter the next act, which is the only way you get things done in the Middle East is you show a deterrence uh, to act. But in terms of this picture, I see Bob Gates says the world in his lifetime has never felt as dangerous as it does now. Now, he was born after World War II, but the guy's done everything from CIA director to two-time secretary of defense. Here's what Mitch McConnell said about Iran and the big picture and what is exactly the problem. And the problem is, for the most part, it is China, fundamentally, cut 13. President Biden said he's going to hold Iran accountable. What yeah, do you think well, that means? I think the proof will be, what are we going to do to hold them accountable? And uh, that's, it's got to be credible. You, ca- you can't, on the one hand, be negotiating with Iran on some kind of nuclear deal that you know they won't keep, and then turn around and uh, de- declare that you're going to get tougher with Iran. I think, number one, uh, quit talking to the Iranians about any kind of nuclear deal. Number two, don't give them the $6 billion. And number three, back up the Israelis in every conceivable way after this attack by Iran-sponsored Hamas. Well, Mitch McConnell sat down, first uh, interview in quite a long time with Margaret Brennan. Sounded fine, a little bit slower than usual, but no freezing. I'll take that. Steve Mosher joins us now, president of the Population, uh, Population Research Institute, best-selling author of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Uh, Steve, you see China's hands all over this. In what respect? Well, uh, obviously, there's an axis of evil in the world, but the axis of evil is not just Russia and Iran, as uh, President Biden suggested in his talk of a a few days ago. Uh, The backer of both Russia and Iran, both directly and through proxies, is the People's Republic of China, specifically the Chinese Communist Party. They've got the resources. uh, They've got the military equipment uh, and, and they've got the propaganda apparatus to help both Iran and Hamas and Russia in their respective wars against uh, mm-hmm. not just Ukraine and Israel, against the United States. 
This is an effort to draw the United States into conflicts around the world, depleting our munitions and, and dispersing our uh, military resources uh, prior to an invasion of Taiwan. It's clear what's going on, but a lot of people don't want to talk about China because they've got investments there. They're making money there. We won't mention names. The, uh, the problem with China, I think, with us is we're not getting ahead. We are responding to what they're doing. We're letting them play us. Now, my hope is you don't have to tell me everything you're doing, but my hope is they realize this. So when they sit down at the State Department and the National Security Council, they go, guys, we're smarter than them. We have more resources. We've got more experience. We've got better warships. They might have more. Let's get ahead of them. Let's get them chasing us for a while. How do we get on the offensive with these people? Well, I think the way we get on the offensive with these people is, is, first of all, to let them know that we know that they have been supporting Hamas, uh, to let them know that we know that Mohammed Deef, who was the orchestrator, the mastermind behind the terrorist attack on Israel that killed uh, 1,300 people and wounded a couple thousand others, uh, the mastermind was actually trained uh, in China at the PLA's artillery college in a city called in northern China back in the late 1990s. So that's where he learned uh, to handle explosive ordnance. That's where he learned military planning and tactics and uh, that he later used to kill uh, Israelis. So it goes way back to the support of Hamas. And, of course, there was in the months leading up to both the Russian invasion of Ukraine and now Hamas's attack on Israel, uh, there were visits back and forth between Iranian officials and Beijing, between Putin and Beijing, and Palestinians in Beijing. And what happens is you see a delegation come in from a part of the world uh, to visit with Xi Jinping. They sit down and they have a photo op. And then a few weeks later, war breaks out. Uh, how does that happen? <laughs> well, it happens because China is green lighting these conflicts. It's supporting these conflicts. My goodness, as soon as the attack happened against Israel, Chinese propaganda machine went into overdrive. There was no gap. There was no time for reflection. They had it planned. They immediately began attacking Israel, uh, launching a, a vile anti-Semitic attack uh, across social media. The sort of things that wouldn't stay up for a minute, Brian, unless uh, the Chinese Communist Party approved right. of them. And the other thing is they launched cyber attacks against Israel. Uh, it wasn't just Iran taking down uh, the computer networks in, around the kibbutzes. It was North Korea and China as well mm. piling on. The Hamas obviously couldn't do it by itself. So they got a lot of support from China behind the scenes. And now, of course, we've got this flotilla of six uh, Chinese warships uh, headed towards the Middle East. We'll see how that develops. Right. Uh, I don't know what they plan on doing, but maybe backing Iran. Uh, here's the thing. China doesn't care about the Muslims. Think about what they're doing to, to the Uyghurs. They basically rounded them all up. And the, and the Muslim world doesn't care about how Islam is, is um, respected in respective countries. How could they possibly even have relations with China if that was sincerely the case? Yeah, and, and that's true all over the Muslim world. Uh, Afghanistan has just signed uh, a long-term agreement with China. And Afghanistan actually has a common border with China. They know what's happening. Uh, to the Uyghur Muslims and the Kazakh Muslims and all the other Muslims in, in the far west of China. They know they're being herded into camps. Uh, they know that children are being sent to boarding schools where they're taught in Chinese, not in their native language, to destroy the culture. They know that, that uh, the Uyghurs are being killed actually for their organs in prison, and the organs are then sold uh, to the highest bidder 
um, and transplanted hearts, livers, kidneys, and so forth. Uh, and oftentimes, sadly, Brian, the people who want these halal organs uh, come from Middle Eastern countries. So the Uyghurs are being butchered literally in China as we speak. And yet, where is the solidarity? Where is the concern there? They're more concerned about getting missile technology. They're more concerned about getting weapons technology uh, and, and investments from China. And, and also the, uh, the communications technology. I would point out that two years ago, China, Huawei, put out a new phone for the first time. It didn't have an Android operating system. It had an operating system made in China called Harmony. <laughs> Great Harmony is China's uh, description right. of what it wants the world to look like in the future after it har har harmonizes everybody. Uh, but so this system wasn't easily hacked into. The Chinese Communist Party was able to listen in, but I think they uh, flummoxed the, uh, the Israeli intelligence services a little bit. That's how they were able to plan and carry out an attack over the course of two years without Israeli intelligence uh, getting a word of it. They were using electronic equipment made in China. Again, another way that China is backing uh, these mm -hmm. terrorists. Yeah, it's, it's another way. So Huawei, possibly those phones maybe had a blind spot for the Israeli intelligence. Maybe they weren't able to pick it up like they used to, and they didn't realize what they were missing because obviously it was a massive failure. So do, why do you think this administration seems reluctant to just say what you said, Steve Mosher, and said China's buying all this and we're going to deal with them? Well, I, I think everybody knows by now that the uh, Biden family has a longstanding relationship with uh, the Chinese intelligence services, uh, and they were in business ventures in China, very cushy uh, business ventures in China that produced a lot of income uh, for the Biden family, a cash income for the most part. Uh, so I think that's a large part of it. The other part, of course, is, is why you, you asked earlier, why don't we take down China? Well, we need to stop funding uh, China's rise, number one, financing it, which we're still doing. We need to stop how, how the, are we financing the theft of technology. By China. Well, I mean, well, the, the, the big investment firms in, in uh, Washington, D.C., Wall Street, are still putting money into the China market. They're now trying to, starting to try to get their money out because they see the real estate collapse in China coming. But uh, nonetheless, we've been funding China's rise for the last 30 years. We've been giving them the technology they need to build a first class, not just economy, but military. And we've got to decouple. We've got to decouple. Uh, the Biden policy of just de-risking, which means sort of on the margins, making a few adjustments, won't do it. The Chinese Communist Party wants to replace us as the dominant power in the world. And the only way we're going to stop that is if we use the same policy towards China that we used to take down the Soviet Union. No finance, no Western capital, no technology, and, and we keep our military strong. That system will collapse from its internal contradictions. Right. Communism always will. But we have to put pressure on it. We have to. And right now they put their own pressure on themselves by some boneheaded decisions. Number one, the one-child policy. Number two, they build 3 billion homes for 1.4 billion people. The real estate market is right. collapsing. Their young people are not right. working. They have no jobs and evidently no motivation. They're starting to find colleges now if the kids they graduate can't find jobs. That's how desperate they are. And the Belt and Road program has not been a boon for them. So the projects stink. And the money is never paid back, and they thought they'd own this, but it's not working out. Did they rejigger the proposal in their summit last week? 
Well, what they're doing is, of course, they're they're spending huge amounts of money on the Belt and Road Initiative, which has to be seen not in economic terms but in strategic terms. They've invested in 100 ports and port facilities around the world. Why? Uh, Because in the event of a conflict, they want control of those ports. People need to know that at the entrance to the southern end of the Red Sea, I was a former naval officer, is a naval base run by China in the city in in the country of Djibouti. Uh, that's where the task force is operating out of. It's not that far, just a couple hundred, few hundred miles from Israel. Uh, so they've got a naval base right in theater already. But you can duplicate that around the world. They control the entrance and exit to the, the Panama Canal, for example. Uh, they have a naval base in Cambodia where they're going to use to control uh, the Straits of Malacca, which is how you get from the South China Sea to the Indian Ocean, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, the same kind of uh, strategic maritime choke points that Britain so successfully controlled when it ruled the waves are now under the control of China. That does not bode well for the U.S. Navy. And Steve Mosher, last question. What's it going to take for this, 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 uh, this administration to realize it, or do we have to wait for the next? I, what, what it's going to take, Brian, is an election, I'm afraid. Uh, these people have, are set in their ways. They will not confront China. Uh, and we're simply going to need uh, a complete change in policy in order to uh, take on China. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, our policy is, should be simple. Uh, it should be uh, a, a repeat of Reagan's policy towards the Soviet Union. Four words. We win, they lose. Yes, and start to decouple rapidly the best we can. Apple, Nike are already starting to doing that. They also want us out, so that will help. And, our na- and the neighbors from Japan to South Korea to Australia to the Philippines seem to feel what Steve Mosher feels, that this is a country that wants to dominate, and it's up to us to stand up to them or the world is doomed. Steve Mosher, thank you so much. Pick up his book called Bully of Asia. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Brian. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We come back. Not only will I take your calls, but it looks like Sydney Powell uh, has flipped, and instead of seven mister instead of seven felonies, is dealing with three misdemeanors as long as she becomes a state witness. Why I feel Trump has nothing to worry about when it comes to her. Don't move. Coming to you on a need to know basis because man, do you need to know? It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hasn't been bad for him at all. Uh, These are prosecutions, many of them, which are seen by millions of Americans as as political vengeance. Uh, That if Donald Trump had been convicted in the impeachment trial and removed from office and banned from, how many of these would have been brought? The Mar-a-Lago case, right? He took those documents, lied about them, all that stuff. But are these other efforts to shoehorn this attempted coup into criminal statutes not written for that kind of thing. Is that really fair play? And I think that's the sense of a lot of America. So that's Terry Moran of ABC. Significant what he said, because it's from him, number one. So they looked at Sidney Powell flipping and Cheeseboro flipping in the Arab Georgia case. And I've been, I don't have the sound up because I'm focused on a war that matters, but everyone wants to talk about Trump on another channel. So I've been watching what's going on and they think this is a big deal. And I'm not a legal scholar, but I do have pretty good instincts on this. And I say, what is the big deal? Cindy Powell, who came out with this most outrageous accusations, unsubstantiated by the Trump team, the original team, and even the fringe lawyers 
that she could not back up any of her promises that she was going to prove in multiple ways that Cesar Chavez's uh, voting machines, of course, he's dead from cancer, but they were so effective in Venezuela of corrupting the election, were corrupting here, and she called on Trump, reportedly, to have the military seize all the voting machines. So Trump said, no, I can't do that. And then Rudy Giuliani said, if she can't substantiate this, of all people, Rudy Giuliani, I can't go with this. And he doesn't. And he had to come over, reportedly, according to Miranda Devine's story today, and he told Jack Smith this, and referee a big blow-up between the Trump legal team and the Trump White House and her. So the Rudy Giuliani had to leave dinner in Georgia and go, and go handle this thing. Having said all that, she's out there. And what she's going to do is, and she also wanted to be appointed special prosecutor and have Trump stay on for another four years without proving that the election was uh, thrown. So what is she going to say? What is she going to say to the prosecutors? Donald Trump's idea was to seize all the voting machines. That's not true. Multiple people say it was Donald Trump's idea to have the military keep him in power. That's not true. He already rejected that. What's he going to say? It was Donald Trump said, say this, how public you're tall with a deep voice. You should go do this. I, I don't know how she's going to flip. It just goes to show you how serious are you in trying to prosecute someone with seven felonies when you work out a deal with them where they basically get six years probation after write an apology letter and get it knocked down to misdemeanors, which you're not going to serve any jail time for. That means you didn't mean anything to the seven felonies. You're not looking for justice. You're looking for Trump. So I don't think it's a big deal. Terry Moran doesn't feel it's a big deal. You don't go prosecute someone for something that happened two years ago. Just perfect timing for the election. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. He comes here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country. Around the world, keep in mind, too, this is also the place where we're seeing countless protests uh, for the Palestinians, for Hamas in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Big pushback over the weekend on Friday anyway for Israel and the hostages, don't you think? Now I really salute Israel because now they're going to start. They, they hesitated at first, but there's so many, believe it or not, non-believers, non-believers that this was horrific as it happened or even happened at all. They're going to begin to put out video that Hamas has put out, that they also have, that shows the horror of October 7th. It's pathetic that they have to do it. Before we get to Daniel Bilak over in Ukraine, yes, another war we have to uh, support them in winning. And Michael Goodwin for the New York Post. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. When they get back here, they should stay in. They should go into a conference, not come out, and stay there, a very simple test. Can you get 217 votes? They shouldn't bring anybody out until they have 217. Yes, great idea. But we tried that already, Mr. Speaker. The Speaker search cracks wide open. How does this end? And there are nine candidates lining up. Will the ones that lose support the others? How about that for a concept? Number two. Look, Russia, China, Iran, and I would throw in North Korea and terrorist groups like Hamas have a very clear mission. And that mission is to destroy the existing um, rules-based international order and to weaken the U.S. and our allies. 
That is Adam Smith, Democrat. How long are we going to deny that China, Russia, and Iran are all behind this? We're going to go into detail. And it isn't time to isn't it time to devise our own game plan to get these evil characters on their heels? Number one. I know there are an estimated five to six hundred Americans there. Is there any chance Israel lets some of those Americans out or Egypt allows some of those Americans in? You're exactly right. And to date, at least, Hamas has blocked them from leaving. Worst fears realized President Biden could be using American power to keep Israel from invading. We all want hostages back. We don't want to see any innocent people hurt. But this is on Hamas. They perpetrated this crime. This is the reprisal. And the world, sadly, is jumping on the let's have good peace of chance John Lennon train, which it shouldn't. Michael Goodwin wrote a story column for the New York Post Sunday, and it says Joe Biden is not up for the Israeli Hamas war challenge. Uh, sadly, I agree. Michael, when your first instinct is don't let him hit back, uh, that's a problem, especially when in the past your instincts have been terrible. Yes. Uh, good morning, Brian. Look, you know, I, I take Joe Biden at his word. Uh, essentially, he is a Zionist. He, he, he does feel for Israel. He wants to help Israel. The problem is everything he touches, he screws up. Uh, and I think that this approach that putting the arm on Israel not to go into Gaza, uh, look, you can have a different opinion of that. But this is Israel's war. Joe Biden cannot manage Israel's war. Uh, he, he's not doing a very good job of managing America's wars. So I, I really think he ought to sit this one out. You want to support Israel, that's fine. But, and, and they deserve it, and they need it uh, with the uh, Iron Dome replacements and things like that. But when you go into their war cabinet meeting and you are peppering their generals with questions that suggest you don't agree with them and – You've taken away their autonomy, and you've made yourself and you've made America responsible for what happens next. I, I don't see the percentage in this. I don't see the the goal. I don't see how it's realistic. Uh, and I think it also makes America sort of the a prime mover here and removes from it this this appeal process, that this, this position that America holds as the backstop, it's moving you into the, into the game right away. I just think it's a huge mistake that, that Biden is doing. And I think Israelis deserve to have their own democratically elected leaders make these life and death decisions. So, look, he's got uh, Netanyahu failed miserably, his intelligence apparatus. They were focused on the West Bank. Gaza was wide open. It was a breach that we never thought was predictable. Bulldozers, hang gliders, uh, manuals, uh, detailed operations inside nine military bases, 200, uh, 200, uh, 200 officers killed, uh, countless uh, officers taken hostage. We know it's a disaster. But I would like his instincts in this war. He's got to deal with his right flank. And if he is using this time to shape the battlefield, I'm all for it. But if someone is supplying reloading the Iron Dome and they say, we want you to wait, you don't have the power to really go against America right now. But they got to go ahead and they got to be smart about it. But keep in mind, this is all Hamas is doing. Hamas had the opportunity if they Palestinians had the opportunity to make it a mini Martha's Vineyard, they could have the 25 by 5, 25 miles by 5. They could have a thriving beach community. 
The rest of the Middle East, does not, outside Iran, does not care about the Palestinians in a homeland. This is all Iran. Why don't we just identify the problem, admit you were wrong with your policy, and reverse yourself? Well, that, Brian, that is precisely the point, isn't it? That, that it's not even Hamas per se. It's Iran. And we know that what Joe Biden's policy on Iran is a replay of the Obama policy on Iran. And it failed. It failed miserably. It failed spectacularly. So we're going down the same road again, where we bribe them and sweet talk them into playing by the rules. And they say, thank you very much for the money. Thank you very much for the concessions. Now, get lost. We're going to do what we want, which is to spread terrorism against all of your allies, starting with Israel. And so this, again, this idea that Joe Biden is going to run the Israeli war uh, while he's got fundamentally wrong the relationship with Iran, which is behind Hamas, which is behind Hezbollah, behind the Houthis, behind Islamic Jihad. Those are all Iranian proxies. And so Joe Biden is wrong on Iran, and therefore he apparently doesn't get what's going on in these relationships, which Israel clearly does. Israel has been very focused on Iran for a long time, ever since uh, you know the, Iran talked about wiping Israel off the map. It's a one-bomb country. That's what one of the Iranian ministers once said about Israel. One bomb is all it will take. So Biden is just, I think, you know, in, in the column, I quote the Robert Gates line that he's been wrong on every national security and foreign policy issue for four decades. And we shouldn't forget Barack Obama's line about Joe, which is don't underestimate his ability to F things up. I mean, you 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 overlay these things with his policy here, his heavy handed policy uh, of Israel, and you say, I don't know, is that really right? I mean, it it just, to me, complicates the situation, and I think it draws America in in a way that it should not be at this stage. Let Israel, let's help Israel, but they have to make their own decisions for their own military, for their own hostages, for their own country. It can't be predicated on what America wants or what America thinks. Right. Uh, sadly, uh, I would give uh, let these people fight. That's what they do uh, best when they have to. They fought for survival. Their track record strong. So if you look at the Middle East, one thing is wrong. Middle East is on fire. The Middle East is on fire. It's on fire for one reason. It's not because everybody hates Israel. That was the story in 73 and maybe 83. But now you have Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Egypt, Jordan. You have uh, even Sudan was in on the Abraham Accords. You have uh, even Qatar is playing both sides, but they don't live for the day that uh, Israel dissipates or disappears. So you have a situation where Syria is just falling apart. So you have Lebanon's controlled by Hezbollah, which is controlled by Iran. The neighbors aren't obsessed with the Palestinian situation. We could not we we should not overreact to that. They probably are saying behind closed doors, you get rid of Iran, you're going to have a lot less problems. John Radcliffe weighed in on how much intelligence they ignored. He knows because he was director of national intelligence, cut 14. Throughout 2020, um, the Iranian 
the, the Iranian military leaders and political leaders were telling us as we listened in on their conversations, we're broke. We can't afford to fund Hamas. We can't afford uh, to fund Hezbollah. We can't afford to pay our proxies to engage in this mayhem. All of that intelligence, which spoke so clearly, um, was shared with the Biden administration uh, as they came in and they ignored the intelligence in the Middle East. And, and now we're on, you know, uh, it's not being hyperbolic to say we're on the verge of a, of, a, of a war in the Middle East. They just don't care. So we're going easy well, on look, China and we're going easy. On, we don't want to mention the, uh, Iran is our adversary. What's going on? Well, look, I, 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 that's where I think the policy is fundamentally wrong, Brian. It, this is, as I say, an extension of the Obama-Biden years where this idea was that Iran, you could bring them in from the cold. They would come back to, the, to be a welcoming part of the community of nations, the world order. They would play by the rules. All of the crap that Americans were fed about China before we realized that China also – had the same malign intentions toward us. And yet they keep doing it. They keep acting as though Iran is just mm -hmm. misunderstood, that its leaders don't really mean what they say. Uh, look, this is very much about destroying Israel, but ultimately it's about destroying America too. And so I just think Joe Biden, somebody needs right. to get into this administration that this policy is going to is going to blow up, and when you it when has. you look at the hostages and everything else, it it is too complicated. There are too many things, and Israel deserves the right to defend itself, however it sees fit. And that's what mm -hmm. Biden is getting in the way of. I don't I don't doubt his intentions. I just think it's his judgment is so wrong and has been proven to be wrong. And yet he, he refuses right. to wake up to it. So Bob Gates says this is the most dangerous the world has been in his lifetime. Can you imagine if President Trump was president and they go, wow, there's war in Eastern Europe again. They invaded. While China is setting up an alternate uh, power structure, an axis of evil, we call it, but they call it a uh, diminishing American influence. And the Middle East is blowing up. If Trump was president, they'd say nobody could screw up things this badly. He's ill-equipped. It shows you everybody can't be president. He's got bad people, bad instincts. But it was actually the exact inverse in the world when the president was around. And I didn't agree with pulling troops out of Syria, but I love that he took al-Baghdadi out, Soleimani out. I love that he took out the caliphate, but I didn't love the fact that he stopped funding the Kurds. But that's okay. I disagree with one portion of a policy. That's okay. It shows we're not robots. But in the big picture, he Biden did the exact opposite of Trump, and the world is afire. Now, let's go to the border where the CBP told us 18 members of the FBI's terror watch list crossed through in September, putting the total to 169 on October 1st. There's already been a 1,000 gotaways, according to Griff Jenkins. I saw him in the lobby. Just talked to CBP. told me walking upstairs, just want to tell your radio audience, a 1,000 gotaways. What are they up to? Do you know how many that Trump had in 2017? Two. In 2018, six. In 2019, zero. In 2023. Now, let me ask you, Michael Goodwin, why is there 169 in September? By September, now years aren't even done yet. Well, we, because the border is open and the world knows it. 
And so people from all around the world are coming. We don't know how. I mean, there have been a number of Chinese people uh, at the border, too. There have been Haitians, Venezuelans, Ecuadorians, Africans. Uh, they're coming from all over the world. We don't know who they are. We have no way of vetting them. We have no way of, of stopping them. We just say, oh, I, I apply for asylum. Okay, come on in. Here's your court date in eight years. Uh, have, a, have a nice time. Have a nice life in America. I mean, it is, it is unthinkable what Joe Biden has done to the border. Again, a matter of judgment. How, what is his judgment? I mean, you know, when you when you ask that question, you get all kinds of, oh, well, it's not really him. He's not really president. People behind him are calling really? the shots. He's just, yeah, I mean, you, you, I know. you hear those kinds of things all the time. I'm sorry. He's president. I don't, I don't know what else is going on. We can only judge by what we see. What we see are the policies are failing and the president looks and appears weak and diminished physically and mentally. That's enough to say this has to stop. This can't go on because we are headed right. for World War III. I want to say one more. I want to do this one more time. Can you imagine if Trump said, I'm going to go visit Benjamin Netanyahu and then I'm going to go to Jordan and Egypt and the Palestinian Authority. And while he was in the air, all three canceled on him. Can you imagine what the what, what the our country would be saying about Trump? How weak he looked, how disrespectful they are, how America's profile has dropped around the world. Nobody would have done that before, but instead, Biden lands. Those three cancel. He has his meeting, and then he leaves in a matter of nine hours. That to me was a disaster. He was well treated. I know this the country of Israel is on, in shock. I get it. But for those Arab nations who are supposed to be our allies, who we give millions of dollars to, blow us off, that can't stand. Just your response in 20 seconds, Michael. Yes, Brian, I completely agree with you. And, and I, I think it's a great point that the cancellation of the meeting. I mean, that that is a sign that they are no longer af- not just a, not afraid of American opposition. They, they welcome it. And this is Michael Biden's Goodwin. insistence. My pleasure, Brian. You got it. Always great. Uh, Michael Goodwin. Uh, in New York also, we didn't even talk about the protests that are up. Pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas. Most of it happened on campuses like Columbia and NYU. It is sickening and befuddling. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. As I talk to to Arab leaders, they want to be part of a long-term solution that brings different governance to Gaza and also to the West Bank, a new kind of Palestinian authority. You know, finally some some progress in, in getting decent governance for the Palestinians, less corruption. They want to help in that, but they can't do it alone. They simply can't organize it. So there's a big choice ahead for the Biden administration, whether to jump back in to, to the Middle East, not just in bolstering Israel in this crisis, but in really forging a mechanism to get eventually a Palestinian state over the resistance of many Israelis. Israelis are fed up with dealing with the Palestinians. You, you can hear that in their voices. So that's part of that's part of the political drama that's playing out. It is part but, of the political drama, but there's no way the Palestinian state. Would you put a Palestinian state in Gaza in the West Bank knowing that Fatah is getting 14% approval rating? Are you going to get rid of everybody, get rid of Hamas and Fatah? Uh, 
Forget it. Uh, to me, you clean it out. You make it terror-free the best you can. Uh, some of you people are emailing, and I truly appreciate it. Pam writes this. Um, uh, I find it so ironic that Biden is showing so much concern for the citizens of Palestine, Gaza, but shows absolutely no concern for the citizens of Palestine, Ohio. Great point. Brooke writes me and says, we don't get ahead of China or anyone else with this leadership. Reactionary at best, mostly failure. Don't get your hopes up, Brian. All right. Jack writes, uh, why won't Fox News or anybody else show the massacre by Hamas of civilians in Israel? We're beginning to show more, but there is a certain decorum, uh, and we don't want to horrify people, but soon... Sooner or later, we might have to. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. President Xi and President Putin. I mean, clearly the Russians know the Middle East very, very well. The Chinese less so. But what they're doing is they're sitting on the sidelines, uh, signaling their support for the Palestinians, not completely backing away from Israel, but, but very clearly signaling their support, calling for a ceasefire. Why are they doing that? Well, you know, clearly they have security and economic interests in, in the, the Arab world. Uh, just look at, for example, uh, Russia's relationship with OPEC. But uh, on top of that, they also see an opportunity to double down on the message that they've been trying to kind of spread around the world in, in, over these years, which is the decline of the U.S. So Putin yesterday, just yesterday, trying to claim that the U.S. giving weapons to Ukraine uh, will prolong the agony in, Ukra in Ukraine. That's what Putin said. The same kind of message with Israel. You know, the U.S. supporting Israel just makes everything worse. Uh, so to understand what, the, what Russia and China are trying to do here, e even mm -hmm. if plainly we don't agree with it. So NBC military analyst Keir Simmons on uh, talking about uh, what what Russia's up to, trying to make themselves look like the good guy. We want to cease fire. Yeah, like we really care. Even though Israel says we have good relations with Putin, Putin uh, I imagine they they actually had a phone call a week later. So this plays to getting the attention off their brutality in Ukraine and plays into them going over to China and looking like they're coming to a powerful a power couple over there. Does it help Russia? I don't know if it really helps Russia because it's not like the fighting is going to subside just because a lot of media focus is going to be on Israel over them. Joining us now, a guy in the fight, uh, Daniel Bilak. He's a member of the Territorial Defense Fund of Ukraine and former chief investment ed uh, advisor to the prime minister. Daniel, welcome back. Uh, great to be back, Brian. Daniel, what, what is how does uh, the the imminent Israeli ground invasion uh, affect your fight? Well, you know, we everybody was was pretty concerned right at the beginning whether this was just going to push us off. Uh, never mind the uh, the radar screen of the media, but basically push us off the radar screen of uh, of uh, Congress and the administration. But you know, I have to say, like the day after. The, the, the atrocities that, that Hamas committed. Uh, Mitch, Mitch McConnell, uh, the Republican leader in the Senate, came out with a great article in the, in the uh, Washington Post, I think it was, where he explicitly linked uh, Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan as, as being the really big wake-up call. So this thing was a wake-up call for America as to what its strategic interests uh, really, really are. And, and basically, you know, this, uh, this, this is the line of defense for America against this new axis of evil, as George W. Bush used to call it, but, you know, of, of Russia, China, North Korea, and, uh, and Iran. 
And, you know, finally, we, we got the, the, the president of the United States to, to go on TV to the American people and, and really, I, you know, quite frankly, spelled out what, what, what really was at stake here. And that is that, you know, this is, this is pure and adulterated evil. And that what Hamas and Putin have, have in common is that they completely want to annihilate uh, a neighboring democracy because democracy and freedom is a threat to these dictatorships. And, and that, that, that really has an impact on, on America. And, and, you know, this does matter to America because, you know, if, 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 you, don't, if, if you engage in appeasement and indifference, all it is, does is breed more war. It just encourages dictators and you get more chaos, death, and destruction, and that means more poverty, more uncertainty, more chaos, and and that means the American way of life is going to be going to be threatened. And you know, actually, when I was listening to the president, I was thinking about Ronald Reagan. You know, he was he was the one who articulated this first. That you know, I remember Reagan said that freedom is never more than a generation away from extinction, and he knew that freedom isn't free. You know, but, it, but Dan, it, let's, it, let's be honest. Reagan came into office saying it, never stopped talking about it. This is the first time the president in a 15 minute address even addressed the reason why Ukraine is important. He's had a bunch of other people sacrifice their political standing uh, now going against, in many cases, the Republican feeling that they're totally giving slow walking too many of your weapons. They're not telling everybody what this fight's about, and now their constituents are giving them a hard time. Why are we writing these billions of dollars? Why we checks while we leave our border open? So this president came out and gave a speech only after Israel was brutally attacked. So I hardly can put him in the Reagan category. Well, maybe maybe it just takes a while to get to 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 this point of clarity, uh, uh, Brian. I don't know, but. You know, Ronald Reagan had the right right approach. He had the, the Reagan doctrine, which was you arm other countries, defend freedom. Uh, that 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 kind of arming is in America's interest because it keeps U.S. troops out of harm's way, but it preserves uh, democracy, of course, peace and stability. Of course, but we Europe, can't slow walk your weapons. You finally got attack I think a few weeks ago, and right away you blew up nine helicopters, pushed them back in their bases. What have Attackums done for this fight? Well, I mean, in all honesty, it certainly sent the Russians a message. They were they were caught unawares. They were caught by surprise, and 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 I and I think that uh, they they weren't they were they were, it was a real wake up call call for them too. And you know, I, I think we've got a lot of clarity, frankly, in the last in the last couple of, of weeks about the fact that you know the democracies of the world are now in a have been for a while, but are, are now explicitly in a war of really good against evil. And, you know, Putin said it at a conference. I mean, he laid it out absolutely clearly. He said, this is war is against Ukraine. It's not about territory because we got enough of our own. But it's about the principles on which the new world order is based. And so he wants the destruction of the rules-based international order that has kept America at peace, safe, and secure and and prosperous, and 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 you know the the internal problems that uh, that that the Republican Party is having in the House, and and it has really sort of raised the stakes in all of this. And and you know I think that you know the, the whole notion that this is this is not charity to give to Israel or to Ukraine or to Taiwan, but it's an investment. It's an investment in in America's own peace and security and prosperity. 
And, you know, it, frank, frankly, it's actually paying off. I mean, first of all, you know, it, it, it's a big cost, okay? I mean, I, I, I get it. It's, we are so grateful to the people of the United States uh, for everything they've done, done to support us. Uh, you know, $40 billion of, of, uh, of assistance is, is, a, is a lot. It's a, it's a whole lot. But as General Keene, I think it was, has said on one of your shows, he says that's what the United States spent per month in Afghanistan. It's, it actually cost the American taxpayer about 50 cents a day. It's 5% of the Pentagon's budget. And frankly, you know, in a $6.2 trillion U.S. budget, uh, it's a rounding error. Right. And, uh, it's know, 90, frankly, and the European also, allies have done a lot. They've given $90 billion. Is that accurate? Yeah, they, they, they've, give, they've given a lot as well, uh, Brian. A lot of it has been, uh, I mean, you know, the Germans went from sending us blankets and helmets to being now our second largest uh, uh, supporter in terms of uh, military uh, uh, equipment after, along with the U.K. But, you know, when, when it comes down to the benefits, you, you, you know, you look at how the, everybody's got to now arm up. Uh, you know, we, we, the Americans and uh, and our allies found that they were running low on stockpiles. So, and you guys were all actually, Eastern European-oriented, not you guys. Well, I'm finding out that all these Baltic nations, all they have is Russian stuff. I, what were they thinking? For 40 years, they got to for, well, for more it, spare parts. they got to go to Russia to get it. Well, but, Brian, this, the good news is that this is going to be, and Mitch McConnell said this the other day as well, that this is jobs for U.S. workers in 38 states as America ramps up its defense industrial base. So, I mean, you know, there's, you know, you never, you never want to have war. But if you're going to, if you want peace, you've always got to prepare for war. And, 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 and to build, try to build a more peaceful and prosperous uh, world for, for all of us. And, you know, but, but you know, the investment, Brian, has actually been paying off because uh, U.S. support for Ukraine has immeasurably weakened, you know, one of its major ab- adversaries uh, and uh, an adversary like Russia that's bent on. No, believe me, uh, you're US speaking to the converted, war. Dan. You know me. I, I thoroughly believe that. Uh, how, do the, how are the leopard tanks uh, doing that you guys wanted, you said it's better for your terrain. And our 31 tanks, are they playing a role? Well, I mean, I think, I think that we are, look, you, you, you know yourself that it's a, it's a, it's a real grind out there because of how heavily mined it is. And, and so essentially we are, we are, we are using them when we have to, but we're not just going to rush their lines to, to, to blow up all the, the, the equipment that we've received. So we've been going in with infantry and, and drones. This has turned into a major, major drone war. And, you know, half my time I spend trying to uh, keep uh, people I know and, 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 and love uh, supplied with drones, uh, both for reconnaissance as, as well as for, uh, 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 for, uh, for attacking. And, you know, but it's, it, you know, we're now on that. We've now gone across the river, the Dnipro River. We're all around the left bank in Kherson because it's their weak part. Um, we're now we're now getting uh, uh, digging in there. And, um, you know, I, I think that and we're holding them off in, in, in the east in Bakhmut and Avdivka, where they're just throwing everything at us. So 
you know, right right now, the the, the attackums and and the long range weapons are really crucial, as well as the anti anti missile and anti aircraft. Because, as you know, we don't have an air force. Actually, we don't have a navy. Uh, but basically, we've denied them superiority in the air, and we've denied them control of the Black Sea. So we're fighting this war asymmetrically. We're sub, we're being very smart. We're be, we're using what we get from from our allies. Right especially the United States. We mix it in with our own stuff. And, you know, we're developing our own uh, combined arms warfare uh, maneuvering uh, against this particular enemy in this, in this particular uh, war. Dan, I, I, I hear you. The, the other the good Russian news, the other, we're talking to Dan Bielak. He's calling us from uh, Ukraine. Uh, Dan, the other good news is you forced the Russian Navy out of Crimea through a series of un. Uh, of unorthodox attacks to to preserve what's left of it, they moved out, and they've stopped that. They you know that kills Putin, as you know better than most, because he wanted to say, look at the crown jewel and the, this beautiful resort I gave I gave my Russian people, and now no one's going. Yeah, well, it, it it's I mean they're they're feeling very vulnerable, and that's what we want to do. You know, we're also taking. Uh, the the attack to Russian territory. We're obviously not bombing or hurting civilian uh, infrastructure, but we're going after their military assets, their ammo depots, their fuel depots uh, in Russia itself, which which makes the Russian people feel very very nervous. I mean, bottom line, you know, Brian, is that this war started in Russia and it'll end in Russia, and it'll end when 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 they feel that they've they've actually been you know totally defeated and. We can do it, and we are doing it, but we can't do it without you. And, you know, this new bill that— uh, Right, but let me me just interrupt a second. Uh, What about the pilots? When are the pilots going to be trained and back fighting fighting this war? Because you got the F-15s, you didn't have the pilots trained. But when are they coming back, do you know? Well, it was the F-16s, and our pilots are undergoing training now in in Arizona and in, in, in some of the allied countries. And— our, our hope is that uh, we will get both the planes uh, and all of the you know systems that we need to support them because it's not about just giving us a bunch of planes. You got to have the the maintenance repair. You got to have the technicians and know how to operate them. But if 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 our projections of February or March are are right, that that'll that'll be a big game changer because they're they're terrified of that. Well, it's coming, uh, and they they should pay that price. Uh, Dan, and and with the, we should make that case regularly, and we have to increase our uh, our industrial base to be able to supply the weapons for people uh, like you guys eventually. But our but Israel and Taiwan, and and now Sweden is officially a member of NATO. You guys hopefully will be next. Uh, the White House expect to put out a statement any minute. A major win for President Biden, who's lobbying for lobbying with Turkey, has paid off. Sweden's admission to NATO is now going to be a done deal. They'll follow Finland. So another thing, disastrous result for uh, for Russia. So you guys, you guys yeah. are an industrious country, as are Taiwan, as is Israel. We have the weapons. Made for, we'll make the weapons, sell them. You know, in the beginning, right now, you'll have trouble, but eventually, you'll be armored up once you bring peace to the region. And this will be a profit base for us. It's a win all around. So, but we have to pick well, up the it, pace in which we we produce these armaments. Well, that's that's right. And I, I was talking to some major arms producers in uh, in the U.S. And you know they they've they've had 
it said we don't have the production lines. We're now ramping up because, you know, we were we were basically getting minimal orders over the last 30 years. And so we are not prepared for this kind of a ramp up. But you know what? The United States can when it puts its mind to anything, it can do anything. And and I, I'm very confident that uh, that once this starts, this will just tank the Russians because everything that we take out, they can't reproduce easily. I mean, Brian, they're going. We've taken out half of their army, and they're now going to North Korea and Iran for armaments and for drones. I mean, that's not a sign of a of a winning formula. And we mm. got them on the back foot with your with your support and and. Right. Uh, and and help and and you know we can we can continue to do this we can get this done i mean our our victory is is our victory in ukraine will help keep americans safe and you know there's no stalemate i keep i keep hearing this rhetoric about a stalemate i mean we're pressing we're pushing them and they are responding to us i'm gonna have to uh leave it there but dan thanks for the update from uh from ukraine a war that we have to help you guys win uh, but you're fighting, uh, fighting as as proven to be as tough as any army in the in the world. Daniel Bilak, thanks so much. God bless. You got it. Uh, when we come back, I have a few minutes to get your calls, or you could email me briankillme.com. Uh, and I got an announcement. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. In terms of what's happening in Gaza, I know there are an estimated five to 600 Americans there. Is there any chance Israel lets some of those Americans out or Egypt allows some of those Americans in? You're exactly right. And to date, at least, Hamas has blocked them from leaving, showing once again its total disregard for civilians of any kind uh, who, are, who are stuck in Gaza. So Margaret Brennan must have asked him four times about a ceasefire. Why weren't we asking for a ceasefire? And Anthony Blinken came out as a war hawk. He's like, really? After what we just witnessed October 7th, you want a ceasefire? Israel has every right to to answer back and make sure that this threat is eliminated. And they're the ones denying people humanitarian aid. And the thing about aid getting in there is it goes into the hands of Hamas. So they get the water, they get the food, they get the fuel, which we're not bringing in fuel. So they're able to sustain themselves. That's the problem. Why don't people understand that? And for Joe Biden, he comes out in the Washington Post, New York Times, same thing as Reuters. Joe Biden behind the scenes pushing for a a delay. Okay, delay. Yeah, they want to save so we all do. But it should be the objective is to eliminate Hamas. That's first. And then you see you can work out the rest. As much as I care about the hostages, I care about anybody in the world. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. I'm going to be in Red Bank, New Jersey, talking about my book. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here uh, on this Monday. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. But if you're watching this uh, war over in the Middle East, I'm sure it can only be so good because everyone is so concerned. With me in studio is Pete Hegseth, Josh Crashauer from uh, Politico, excuse me, from Axios at the bottom of the hour. Before we get to Pete, let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. When they get back here, they should stay in. They should go into a conference, not come out, and stay there. A very simple test. Can you get 217 votes? They shouldn't bring anybody out until they have 217. Yeah, we tried that already. Uh, Speaker search cracks wide open. How does this end, and who are the nine candidates lining up to replace Kevin McCarthy? Number two. Look, Russia, China, Iran, and I would throw in North Korea and terrorist groups like Hamas have a very clear mission. And that mission is to destroy the existing uh, rules-based international order and to weaken the U.S. and our allies. And I'm against that. How long are we going to deny that China, Russia, and Iran are behind all this? We go into detail, and it's time to devise our game plan and put them on their heels, don't you think? Number one. I know there are an estimated five to 600 Americans there. Is there any chance Israel lets some of those Americans out or Egypt allows some of those Americans in? You're exactly right. And to date, at least, Hamas has blocked them from leaving. Uh, that's Anthony Blinken. Worst fears realized. President Biden could be using American power to keep Israel from invading. We all want hostages back and we all want peace. But after October 7th, how dare we hold Israel back? They know the neighborhood. They know how to fight. We'll discuss that as things heat up with Hezbollah as they pick up the pace on their attacks. Pete Hegseth knows the area well. How many times have you been to Israel? About 10 times. Wow, yes. and you were about to go, you were just telling me. About to go that Sunday after the attack, and then our flight was canceled. We weren't allowed to go. So, we were going to film something for Fox Nation. Right, so you were doing something non-war related. Non-war related, and so we, we weren't going to get access to anything. So we understand uh, the pace is picking up with Hezbollah. There were 320 airstrikes at the Gaza Strip yesterday, but we're, the, the Israel is keeping its mind uh, and its eye on Hezbollah. Uh, the Iran-backed group uh, conducted 17 attacks as part of an ongoing attack campaign yesterday. I mean, what are they doing? Do they want this? Does Hezbollah want this, or do you think they're, or do you think uh, do you think they're thinking twice about it? Depends on what Iran wants right now. And you know, Hez- Hezbollah gets 700 million dollars a year from Iran. 700 million. That 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 what got, what Hamas gets is a fraction of that. So Israel's got two calculations, I think, and you're exactly right, Brian. They should be allowed to execute their war plan as they see necessary and they see fit. And the fact that our our administration or White House is pulling them back is is absurd uh, based on humanitarian aims when Hamas controls all that anyway. It's the hostages. It's it's American hostages and the hostages. Hamas is going to use them as literal pawns and human shields to try to stave It was in their off, game plan that was written down. Stave off an invasion by saying, if you invade, we start murdering hostages. That's what Hamas will do. And the other dynamic for Israel is Hezbollah. And if you have 150,000 rockets, 75,000 of which are precision rockets that can more or less cover the majority of Israel – and you have a 100,000-plus ground army, yes, Israel can do immense amount of damage to them, but it complicates everything they want to do in Gaza if they have to deal with Hezbollah. And the the downside for Iran, if they're looking at this saying, wait a second, right now we feel pretty good. We got Israel surrounded. But at the end of three months, if if Hezbollah is in tatters and Hamas Hamas is destroyed, they're going to look around and go, wow, I've lost everything except for some enclaves in Syria, which – Israel was taken out as they saw him anyway. I think the the big game changer in all of that is where are they on the pace of achieving nuclear capabilities in Iran? Imagine this scenario if Iran has a nuclear bomb. What yes. does Israel do? Now, Israel has nu- a nuclear arsenal. So now are we talking about a nuclear standoff? 
between two countries that viscerally hate each other and one that wants to wipe the other and off. And you the heard map. the Saudi Arabia says they go and we're getting one. Of course, and so now you got a nuclear armed Middle East. Uh, so if you think our power is diminished now, which unfortunately it is under this administration, imagine when each entity, the Sunnis, the Shia, and other and Israel have a nuclear umbrella also. Which is why I wouldn't be surprised if Iran took the step to go at, or excuse me, Israel took the step to go at Iran's nuclear arsenal. They've done it before in a covert way. Setting Iran back further on their timeline to get a bomb is pretty important to a state whose whole existence depends on it. Well, look what they've already done. They've assassinated the scientists. They've stolen all the plans they showed it was a peaceful nuclear energy plan. We all knew that. They ended up out in uh, Israel. Sabotage on a lot of their, um, what are they called, centrifuges. They've done a lot of things behind the scenes for years. So Israel officials say they will go after Iran if Hezbollah goes in. And Iran has said if you go after Hezbollah, we're going in. Iran has said if you go into Gaza, we're going to unleash Hezbollah on you. So it really does come back to with the murder of 1400 Israelis and we're getting more and more footage Hamas body cam footage which it Fox is smart which which Fox isn't showing understandably so well, but I saw it, some of it just now some of it but it's it's I mean when you see the gruesome detail of what they um how can Israel not do something about a terror state on their border, which makes an escalation almost feel inevitable? So the thing is, they hide under hospitals with their uh, their headquarters in mosques, and they hide behind uh, civilians. That's their goal. They, they're they're right at doctrine. So this is all on Hamas. If civilians die, if structures are destroyed, if mosques and hospitals no longer exist, it's on Hamas. You just killed fourteen hundred people without a premise. You had that plan scripted out. You worked on it, it looks like, for at least a year. You killed innocent people, and now you're complaining when there's reprisals? Come it, on, it, what, happened to, what happened to logic? It's all on Hamas, but Hamas knows exactly what the Western media will do. What the U.N. Which they're already do, doing. Which the New York Times has already done. New York Times this morning finally retracting their story about the hospital bombing. What is it, a week later? They immediate the New York Times immediately reported based on one source, and that's Hamas, mm-hmm. that a hospital was bombed by Israel and 500 people were killed. Now we know Israel definitely didn't bomb that hospital. The hospital itself wasn't even destroyed. It's standing that it was an Islamic Jihad weapon and that maybe in the dozens of people were killed. That's a big difference between the initial assertion. And that's what Hamas counts on, uh, th- both sides-ism. I'm of, of two thoughts. Number one is um, the president says two teams. This is the other team that did it. You, other team? Islamic Jihad's a team now? It's okay. You misspoke. Done it before. But en route, he found out that all these Arab allies, allies, Egypt and Jordan are allies, uh, have canceled on him. The Palestinian Authority, who sadly we fund to a great deal, they canceled meetings. Number one, you get that back on track. Number one, you canceled the wrong premise. You know that. They know as well as we did before us that they blew up their own hospital. So you get that back on track, and your money's going to be at stake. And people say, well, wait a second. They have to worry about their own people. Listen, they're kings, right? Al-Sisi is a general. He just kills his own people. He doesn't care. So, uh, and the Palestinian Authority, King Abdullah, when he's not hanging out in Hollywood, he's hanging out in New York City, going to Broadway plays, and now he's going to make a stand for the Palestinian people who he won't let in? You should never let that stand. You think Trump would have let that stand? You're canceling with me while I'm en route? No, absolutely not. But what option did Joe Trump Biden— Trump would have went over. Well, Trump, uh, Trump w- wouldn't have went over. He wouldn't have gone over until he knew what yeah. deliverables— But this is a desperate White House. Economically here at home, they got nothing to run on. Afghanistan was a debacle. 
And so they're trying to make it look like they're playing a strong hand in a region by wrapping them arms, watching Biden wrap his arms around Bibi Netanyahu, my old friend, right, while he's actually smothering him and saying, don't do what you need to do in the process. Because the instinct of the staffers inside this administration is pro-Palestinian. I mean, it's it, a- it is. This is the young element of the Democrat Party. They, they, they don't understand Joe's reflex to be generally pro-Israel, so it's a party at war with itself. Well, well I saw a poll earlier that only 45 percent of the Democratic Party is supportive of Israel. And that's with for Republicans, it's in the 60s and 70s. Now it's up to 81 percent. But that's why Trump said what he said when he came out and said, if you're a Democrat, if you're a Republican, if you're a uh, if you're a Democrat, you should never vote for a Democrat uh, if you are pro-Israel, because I don't care if you are a Democrat. They are not pro-Israel. So why would you vote for a party that is against your our number one ally in your mind, too? Well, there's a lot of historical reasons why Jewish people in America have been. Because the Democratic Harry Democrat Truman Party. recognized him in 11 minutes. Harry Truman, all of there's also social issues that a lot of the more liberal Jews in America are torn, drawn toward the Democrat Party for. But if your issue is the state of Israel and its existence, there's only one home politically for you in America today, and that's the Republican Party. We've seen that from all the candidates. Right. And this is what Trump did so well. Focus on the basics. Tell the bad guys what you're going to do to them. Kill a few bad guys like Qasem Soleimani on the airfield. Al-Baghdadi. Al-Baghdadi. Show what you will do. And ultimately, they're going to back down. The reason this plan was hatched in the last year is because they saw the weakness of this administration. And now it's been unleashed. All right. So here's what Mike Waltz says. Tactically, we're moving aircraft carriers into the region almost immediately. We are shifting once again from Asia back to the Middle East, as everybody tends to do. Cut 21. One thing that I am encouraged by is to hear that the Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group is not going to sit in the med. It's moving back around to the Arabian Gulf. I think that does two things. The good thing is it sends a strong message to Iran. It's right offshore uh, of Iran. The thing I'm worried about is it could also be positioned to evacuate our embassies. Uh, While that is fine if needed, the signal we should be sending that Mike Pompeo and President Trump sent was if you storm our embassy in Iraq, you so much have a fingernail across that wall, we will drop all kinds of pain and hurt on you, Iranian-backed militias in Iraq. We don't want to be sending the signal that we'll cut and run. That's true. That is true. The problem is I don't trust the decision-making of this administration. I never did. Jake Sullivan and Anthony Blinken and the president of the United States, they wreak weakness. So posturing is good, but if you're posturing and your enemy doesn't believe you, then you're actually just creating new targets. And you're creating an opportunity for stumbling into a wider conflict where you're not doing it for strategic reasons. And you're certainly not doing it on the offense. So at the very least, unleash Israel to do what they need to do and and then threaten Iran with our capabilities so that they back down. Uh, China, it's not hard. China is deploying six warships into the Middle East. It's storming over there, whatever this means. The 44th Naval Escort Task Force is heading over there. So they're fielding Boulder by the day. I mean, yeah, what they are they going to do? Look at us? I mean, this, this axis is a real thing. We've driven Russia and China together. China has no reason to, to like Iran except for joint hatred of us. They'll happily help them sow chaos. They want us tied down in the Middle East like we were tied down for two decades because it distracts against their global ambitions. So they'll use Iran basically as their own effective proxy. 
And we've got Joe Biden running around the world saying the biggest existential threat we're facing in the world is climate change. So I mean, they see that. They watch that. It's uh, a joke. It's, it's a crazy. You know, Gavin Newsom is heading over to China to talk oh, climate change. Is that was yeah. that his? Do you believe that? Is, is he is he kidding? I think it's going to be a laugh track on that meeting. Uh, Greta Thunberg, my idol, a climate activist extraordinaire. How dare you? Me famously. It's called for an immediate ceasefire. Oh, good. Uh, she says, uh, today we, stri- uh, we strike with solidarity with, the Palestine, with Palestine and Gaza. The world needs to speak up and call for an immediate ceasefire. Justice and freedom for Palestinians and all civilized uh, civil- civilians. So Israel answered her on the Twitter account and says, Hamas doesn't use sustainable materials for their rockets, which, I have, butch- which have butchered innocent Israelis. The victims of the Hamas massacre could have been your friends. Speak up. I like the answer. I love that. Come back at them with the reality because Greta Thunberg has no idea what she's talking about. She doesn't know anything about climate change either. She's just been held up as someone. And now she's going to preach to us about the Palestinian cause alongside. I mean, it's all conflation with Hamas. They don't know. These people don't know who Hamas are. They don't know what they believe. You study it. I've been there. We've both been there. You understand what Islamists think what they believe Mm -hmm. it's a religious devotion to a cause right and greta's gonna you know tell us that we should all just understand everything's gonna be fine do not burst my balloon i need somebody to look up to and you just diminished her in my eyes how dare you i'm sorry how dare i didn't realize you had such esteem for her back in a moment both sides all opinions it's brian kilmeade Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. Pete Hegseth is here. He's going to be on Gutfeld tonight with me. Um, that's how I do it. Well, Gutfeld will be hosting. Me and you will be in the panel. But I think we're going to outshine him. Again. Between the two of us together. Absolutely. I think yes. so. Um, and he'll put down Fox and Friends to both of us. He'll make yeah. disparaging words about the morning show. That might be good on Fox and Friends or something like that. And jokes about how Ducey and Will Kane are better than both of us. Right. It, it's coming. Right. And does it ever hurt your feelings? No. I didn't think so. Badge Me either. Right, you've been to war. <laughs> so, hey, uh, Teddy and Booker T is coming out November 7th. Do you know what November 9th is? Well, Veterans Day is November 11th. That's important. What's November 9th? Don't make me feel self-centered. I'm going to be in Red Bank, New Jersey at the Vogel, Monmouth Street. You used to know New Jersey. You moved yep. out. You I were asked it. to leave. I, I, I voluntarily fled. Well, we're putting together a whole show. Remember the show? Yes. Right. Only we're going to add in Book Teddy and Booker T. Is this happening on November 9th? That's what's happening on November 9th. If you're in the area <laughs> on November 9th, you need to come out and see this show. It's worth seeing. Right. And then it's, uh, it's America, how America got great, really. But we bring things to life in a way that nobody thought possible. Uh, some <laughs> scripted, other unscripted. <laughs> we give premises. All good comedy. But yeah, we, yeah, it is fun. And then I'm going to be, uh, where else am I going to be? Oh, yeah, in Fairhope. Well, I'll be in, the next show will be December 12th in Pittsburgh. And then I'll be in Holland, Michigan, December 16th. You're welcome to all of them. Okay. But uh, Teddy and Booker T comes out November 7th. Love it. All right. So uh, as we look forward to what we're seeing now, we have nine candidates who say, put, me, put my name in coach to be speaker. Out of all of them, Tom Emmers, Byron Donalds, uh, I don't know. Does anyone stand out? I thought Jim. Just... I thought Jim Jordan was the best pick. I had the most hope that he would be able to sort of outlast 
the personal grievances of and because that's what it's come down to now, Brian. This is middle school in suits. This is personal grudges between individuals and groups who feel they've been short circuited or screwed over or ignored. And they know that all you need is three or four or five votes to derail the entire thing. So they let people right. go to the floor. I, I think the sound you played of Speaker Gingrich is probably right. Like at this point, get well, in a room. Why did they go home this weekend? Get in a room and figure it out. Get but, in a room and decide who it's going to be. But Pete, they get in the room, they get the number. Well, over a hundred. Scalise got it first, and then Jordan got it second, and then they go. They can't get to two seventeen. Not even close. So now you got Jack Bergman, Michigan, Byron Donalds, Tom Emmer, uh, Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, Mike Johnson, very talented guy from Louisiana, Dave Muser. Gary Palmer, Austin Scott, Pete Sessions. Six of them said who, if they lose, they'll vote for whoever wins. Which means nothing then because three didn't. So it means the, the chaos will continue to reign. I actually think that it'll be, at this point, it's going to have to be a lowest common denominator speaker. What do you mean? Meaning it's not going to be a shining star or a beacon of a wing, the leader of the Freedom Caucus or the Freedom of the Republican Study Committee or someone from leadership like Tom Emmer. It's not going to be somebody like that because people are too dug in and invested on their side. So it's going to be somebody sort of milk toast that everyone could say, meh, OK, fine. I mean, that's the sad state of affairs, but it's where we but, are. But the job description needs you got to have relationships and consolidate the moderates with the conservatives. You do, if you don't need a star, you need somebody. We get the politics make, we deserve, Brian, and this is what we deserve right now. Me and you, we deserve this. <laughs> I didn't do it. Don't vote me in. I'm saying, he likes that. In a larger See sense. you tonight. I yeah. understand. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. This is probably one of the most embarrassing uh, things I've seen because if we don't have a Speaker of the House, we can't govern. And every day it goes by, we're essentially shut down as a government. We have very important issues right now, war and peace, and we cannot deal with an aid package or my resolution condemning Hamas and supporting Israel. We can't. They can't even pass. So there you go. That was uh, Michael McCall, uh, chairman of the Armed Services uh, in the House, and he came out and was saying how embarrassing it is not to have a speaker. I think everybody agrees with that. And I think those eight people that were so proud of themselves three weeks ago have to feel pretty ridiculous right now. But who knows? Josh Grashauer joins us, Fox News, radio political analyst, editor-in-chief of the Jewish Insider, and with Axios. Josh, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Good to be back with you. So Michael McCall's words, does that ring familiar with other people in the caucus you've run across? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the dominant feeling when it's been, what, almost three weeks now without a, a speaker and it's only hurting the Republicans politically in their ability to hold the House majority, which is very tenuous, into 2024, and, and just branding the party as, as a bunch of uh, dysfunctional, uh, uh, without leadership, without any, any real clarity on what their message is and how they plan to govern. So, um, look, by the way, like with everything, with all the extremism on like the, the squad on the Democratic side uh, over Israel and the Middle East. I mean, this would be an opportunity where the House would be condemning some of these anti-Semitic comments uh, from Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. These are opportunities for Republicans to go on offense, and they haven't been able to do that because they don't have uh, leadership in the House. They don't have leadership in Congress. They, they'd be in control of the House if Kevin McCarthy was still Speaker, but they can't even you know kind of do, do the basic blocking and tackling and, and really putting the Democrats on defense at a time when obviously we're getting closer to a, to a big election uh, season. So, it does it, yeah. You know, it, 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 yeah doesn't it doesn't mean those comments aren't horrific. 
and stunning. Right, no, I- yeah, I mean, obviously they've been spotlights, you know, they've been under the spotlight here and, and among Republicans. But, you know, we, obviously there's a government funding issue coming up again uh, in, in, a, in a few weeks, and you have to kind of deal with the basic uh, functions of government. But there's also just the politics of it all, where Republicans branding. I mean, you look at some of the polls that have come out in the last couple of weeks, uh, Brian, Repo- the brand, Republican brand has really taken a nosedive, and it it's stems from the lack of leadership and the total dysfunction within the caucus. So where do we go from here? I'll just read it. You know, I have Kevin Hearn, Tom Emmer, Byron Donalds, Jack Bergman, Pete Sessions, Austin Scott, Gary Palmer, Dan Muser, Mike Johnson. Uh, the most high profile out of this is Byron Donalds, and the next one will be Mike Johnson. But is that what you need from a speaker, high profile? Not really. No. I mean, look, I think the name to watch, Brian, is Tom Emmer of Minnesota, who is in the Republican leadership right now. He's sort of the third in line behind he was behind McCarthy and, and Scalise, and he was very effective running the campaign committee in 2020 and <clears throat> 2022, which gave Republicans, uh, but you know, the majority back. Um, he's a pretty, you know, pretty savvy politically, and has good allies within within the conference. Um, the challenge is that you know a lot of the, the same right wingers, the same nihilists, if you will, that that don't like McCarthy. A lot of those same people don't trust Tom Emmer either. So all, you know, all it takes are four or five Republican votes to, to, to hamstring the whole operation. And uh, we know where Matt Gates stands on a lot of this stuff. And he has enough, you know, what, what is McCarthy calling them? The hateful aid or whatever, you know, that, that, that's all it takes to block a basic functioning in the house. So uh, it's, I, look, I don't, I don't know if anyone, if Tom Emmer, if someone who's frankly been running uh, in leadership for some time and has the respect of a wide swath of the caucus, if he can't, get the votes, uh, it's really hard to kind of imagine anyone uh, being able to, to secure the, the, the number of votes necessary. It, it may take, um, and I don't think this is going to happen either, but like the only way you can get out of this mess is maybe a, a, some kind of deal with Democrats and getting Democratic support in order to get a, a Republican speaker in, in the House. Can you imagine that working so hard to get the majority and just giving it away? It would be crazy. Here's, here's the other problem. Like, just you don't just elect the president you think is the most popular or can get the biggest crowd. You need someone that can walk into moderates and say, what do you need? Walk into conservatives and say, what do you need? Go over to Democrats and say, problem solvers, what can you get? And then figure out what's possible. It, it's almost like you have to be the perfect ref rather than the perfect personality. Here's what Kevin McCarthy said. Cut 25. Unfortunately, the chaos has continued. We need to solve this problem. We've got a wide open southern border. We've got crushing inflation. We've got war in the Middle East. This is not a moment in time to play around with learning on the job. We need someone who understands how to do this job. And he thinks it's Emmers, but is Emmers anti-Trump? What's the reality? Yeah, well, so two things. Number one, on the, the rap on Emmer and a lot of the people in Trump world don't tr- trust Tom Emmer, not because he said anything like against Trump, but just he made a comment at one point during the, I believe, the 2022 election where he said like every lawmaker, depending on what district they run and have to kind of take a position may not be the most Trumpy position because you have to know what, do what it takes to win your district. And some districts that Republicans currently hold, 18 of them, in fact, were won by Joe Biden. So you have to, to hold the majority to have a coalition uh, to have power, you need to have people that don't always agree with you 100 percent of the time. That, that's the nature of successful governance. And that's Kevin McCarthy, I think, understood that. Uh, but there's some in this caucus that essentially want it all. They don't want to compromise. And look, it's a basic math. It's a basic math problem, Brian, because, you know, about what, 15 to 20 percent of the country or may, may, may share the views of the people on the right wing. And they may they may you know, be in that in that in that space. But to govern, you need 50 percent. You need to build coalitions. And it's a lot easier to build coalitions within your own party. You have the majority. 
you have uh, 50, 51% of the, of, of the party or of representation. That, that's the way to do it. But it, it sounds like the, 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 the right wing, the nihilists, the Matt Gates crowd, uh, they don't want to take yes for an answer. And, and it's almost like they want to empower the Democrats, uh, even though they're in the minority. They basically don't want to allow Republicans to have some kind of coalition between more pragmatic folks that I think make up a lot of the party and the more nihilistic folks that are blocking everything in sight. Right. So we'll see what happens. How damaged is Jordan? I mean, he must be crushed. Had that press conference in the morning. We're going to do it again. Gets less votes all three times and then goes back and has to say, that's it. And then gets voted out in the caucus behind closed doors. Well, look, that, so that, that Jim Jordan moment was sort of the biggest defeat for, for the, the, the Matt Great, the, the, the right-wing crowd. And by the way, Jim Jordan play, handled everything well. He, in terms of, you know, he worked in leadership with McCarthy. He supported McCarthy. He played team ball. He did. He's someone who really uh, understood what it takes to build larger coalitions and to build support for uh, his, his views within the party. But, but the problem was that like, th- that was sort of the end game, I think, for a lot of the people on, on, on the far right. They thought maybe we can get Jim Jordan through and then we win this in the, in the, in the big picture. The problem is that there, there were a lot of rank-and-file Republicans, and a large number, 20 at first, and I think 27 in the end, could, they couldn't stomach uh, Jordan because it's just too far to the right. And he said too many things that have been controversial that could hurt, hurt a lot of uh, – well, there are actually policy divisions, but there's also the political side where you have Republicans in tough districts where you know, associating yourself with Jim Jordan could be tough to, to end up getting reelected. So, you know, ultimately, that was the moment that I think the, 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 the eight were waiting for, for like Jim Jordan to be elected speaker. And then they could say they won this. This is, this is the reason why they defenestrated Kevin McCarthy. It turns out that Jordan lost a lot more Republican votes than McCarthy did. And now it, their whole they – don't, they don't have a plan B. They don't have a backup plan. And, and they, uh, it sounds like they just still want to block anyone from becoming speaker at this point. Josh Kreischer, our guest. Josh, do they realize – how humiliated they they should be the eight that did this? Do they real? Do they still is is Gates and company and Nancy Mace walking around with their head held high, thinking we did a great thing? At this point, doesn't it have to hit home? Well, the problem, Brian, is a lot of these folks have no shame. <laughs> you know, usually in politics, there's a little you can be embarrassed a little bit, but when when what you do blows up in your face as badly as it has, you say, "I'm sorry, this is a mistake," and 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 let's 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 let's, let's, let's move on. Uh, but in politics these days, there's no shame. You know, there's no accountability. So I don't see. I mean, Nancy Mace is someone who is a great example of someone who I thought was, you know, she branded herself as someone who was trying to work with the other side and trying to build broad coalitions. And then all of a sudden, she does a total 180 for God knows why. And you know, that's not, um, I think, why a lot of her constituents elected her in a, in a swing district in South Carolina. Um, I mean, Gates was predictable, um, but you know, again, a lot of these folks. Are they don't have an end game and and they right. frankly don't have any issue. There's no shame in, in blowing up the house. In fact, I think they like the fact that government isn't working and Republicans don't have uh, a majority because they have differences with uh, with Kevin McCarthy and others for personal reasons and, and maybe some policy reasons as well. We're in the middle of a crisis. Having said that, the president's going to look for four more years, even though Dean Phillips is going to run for office and he seems to be a competent guy. He's going to roll out in Las Vegas, but he's going to run. He's going to get the nomination. He's going to go against Trump. Now, if you look at his policy with welcoming Iran, trying to rejigger that, uh, uh, rejigger that nuclear deal, what a disaster that's been, allowing them to sell oil and loosening up on the sanctions, what a disaster that's been. The hostage exchange, they gave him $6 billion one week before their surrogates attacked Israel. We know how disastrous that's been. 
And then we see what about Afghanistan and the reapproachment with China and what a terrible that's been, the invasion in Eastern Europe with Russia and Ukraine and p- predicting he'll, they'll be dead in three days. And here we are 550 days later and they're still fighting. This has been a disastrous foreign policy, I would argue, for this administration. Do you think they realize that? Factor in the border on top of that and 166 FBI wanted most wanted list put popping up already this year. Do you think they realize we're going to have trouble running on this? Uh, yeah, I think they do. Uh, look, politically, you have already a lot of pessimism about the state of the economy, and now you have. I didn't even bring up the economy. Crisis. Yeah. Yeah, another crisis globally. Uh, and, and look, I think Biden has handled uh, in many ways, um, you know, showing stalwart support for Israel, going to Israel. Like, I think that's been important. That, that may help him uh, in the long term. But the problem is, Brian, that th- there's a perception of chaos all over the world under the Biden administration. And that's how most average people watching the news looking at the horrific headlines uh, across the globe. Ukraine, uh, Russia's decision to invade, you know, Hamas's decision to, to, to you know, from one of the worst terrorist attacks in Israel's history, you know, it, it is uh, it, it is a scene of, of chaos. And, and that, that the buck stops with the president, uh, fairly or unfairly. You know, it, it does remind me a little bit of like the Carter administration when, you know, in 79, you know, the, the policies of being uh, solicitous to Iran, you know, of not realizing the threat that the, you know, the revolution would cause. And then the Ayatollah taking over, uh, you know, Jimmy Carter did get a little tougher on, on, on foreign policy after 1979, but it was too late. It was too late for him to turn things around politically. People already had the perception of weakness and, and feckless policy. And even when he did a course correction, it didn't matter politically. And I think Biden may be in a similar situation where there's a perception of weakness. And whatever the policy is, I think he's done a, a pretty solid job in some ways. But I think the perception of weakness overall is going to hurt him in a re-election. Bit. Right. And also, don't forget the invasion of Afghanistan. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. The, right. The, the, the there was the hawkishness, but it was too late. It was too late for, for Carter. Right. Uh, what about this left wing with with Elon Omar in tears screaming about the Israelis and same thing with Tlaib uh, and we have AOC come out and demand a ceasefire. Does that hurt Democrats? Does that does that resonate? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, look, I, I, on one hand, I think Biden has sort of marginalized those those five or six squad members. Um, but when you have essentially what amounts to a pro Hamas caucus or at least an apologist for Hamas terrorism as at least Omar and Talib uh, have been. Talib has put up a blood, you know, maintained this blood libel on her social media page about, you know, things that have already been long corrected about blaming Israel for uh, a, a terrorist uh, attack at that hospital in Gaza that that Islamic Jihad was responsible for, and she's kept that up on her social media page, refused to correct the facts. So that that's, you know, uh, that's a, you know, a lot of Jewish Americans are were are endangered because of some of the stuff that she's been putting out there. Uh, Ilhan Omar seemingly unable to condemn. Uh, Hamas, um, you know, and, and, and coming up with equivocations and attacking some of her own Democratic colleagues for supporting Israel uh, as, as of last Friday. So, yeah, I mean, it's a look, it's a problem in that uh, these are very extreme voices that are getting louder. And there's a constituency, you know, you see in the State Department, there was someone who resigned because uh, the Biden administration was taking a pro-Israel, was supporting Israel in the wake of, of, of the, the, the terrorist attack. I mean, you have you have these people who are in the government that sympathize with that position. It's a very extreme position when you look at the polling. But a lot of it is concentrated, Brian, on the very far left and young progressives in particular. And that's that's the part of the, the party that is, uh, you know, Biden has been trying to, to accommodate 
Uh, but it's hard to accommodate a, a, a constituency that actually can't condemn terrorism and can't condemn what happened in Israel two weeks ago. And a difference with parties. Uh, they do not like, they didn't, uh, weren't big fans of Nancy Pelosi. They settled things behind closed doors, and they picked a speaker uh, two or three times. And one time was like, hey, I'll leave after two years if you vote for me. That was done all behind closed doors, unlike what the Republicans did. Uh, Josh, we look forward to reading your column uh, in Axios, and uh, I appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, that was the inside story. When we come back, we'll take your calls, one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I want to ask about this Nikki Haley thing because she's having a moment. I feel like something is coalescing around her being the anti-Trump, being the, like if there is ever a chance for an indoor Republican, a paper-trained Republican. Yeah, I mean, that's what Bill Maher was saying. She's moved up to tied in second place with DeSantis overall. And the real clear average, DeSantis is up, but on the latest Emerson poll, they're about tied. But they're 8% and Trump's 59%. But this is a moment for her because this... Her expertise, area of expertise, she's got two, got governor and internationally. She's dealt with this recently, the same players in Ukraine, Russia, in, uh, with Iran, constantly. Uh, Israel, allies, stood up with it, proud of her track record. So I think that's, that's pretty good. Also, Bill Maher came out and spoke out against, uh, against those who think it's a good idea to protest against the Israelis on college campuses. I don't know if we had a chance to pull that from... Uh, we had a chance to pull that, but listen to what he said, because it's fascinating. Again, I find myself agreeing with Bill Maher uh, almost every day. So when he came out and there were these, uh, the tensions were high on college campuses, he came out and just made comments right right away uh, in support of Israel and says, you know, basically, if you have a kid that's going to college, don't send them. He says, I say this for, as an Ivy League grad that went there and survived. Don't send them. He's a liberal. He will never vote for a Republican. But he's a normal guy that can't understand, like me and you, how you're out there going out to support Hamas and the Palestinians or even asking for a ceasefire after what we, uh, after we had a chance to witness. Some of those protests in Arizona State. Students of Justice in Palestine, Arizona State, held a rally on October 8th. Students and advocates united together on October 21st, same Arizona State. Columbia, hundreds of protesters gathered on Columbia October 12th for competing pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian demonstrations. Cornell, they're really bad. Their chapter for Students for Justice in Palestine organized a rally for what students leaders described as a protest to the occupation of Palestine. A lot of uh, Cooney. These schools, protesters organized several campuses on the city university for the Palestinians. Fort Atlantic University, tensions were high. More than 100 students marched through Fort Atlantic University campus to support the Palestinians. GMU, George Mason University, a large group of Palestinian supporters again. Harvard, Indiana, Kent State, NYU out of control, New Mexico State, Miami. You know what I'm describing? The whole country. Who the hell is getting people sympathetic to the Palestinian cause? 
who vote 71% for Hamas, who are fervently in support of rocketing into Israel proper, I guess not for the 18,000 from Gaza that were working in Israel on a daily basis, and for the bombings. So look, there's a lot of innocent people. They say they have no choice. But to me, to be sympathetic towards them is out of control. BrianKillMe.com. Find out about Teddy and Booker T. Comes out November 7th, November 9th. I'll be in Red Bank, New Jersey. BrianKillMe.com for tickets. I'll be in Pittsburgh, Michigan, everything. You're going to love it. Uh, another great American story. Uh, we'll keep you up to date on everything happening in the war. Keep it here. Brian Kilme Show. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.